Have you ever wanted to be the first to know if aliens really exist? Well, with Nebula, you can be! Nebula is the streaming service that's home to its Probably Not Aliens, as well as our YouTube channels. And the best part? All of our content goes up early on Nebula. So when we break first contact with E.T., you'll be the first to find out. That's right, you'll be able to listen to the next episode of this show before anyone else. Plus, we post bonus content that you won't find any other place. And the best part? By signing up for Nebula at nebula.tv slash probablynotaliens, you're directly supporting the show and both of us. So don't wait any longer. Join Nebula today and be the first to know if this time it really is aliens. So I can't remember all the references that um, Scott had given me on your guys' behalf. Like many shows, they don't exist when you're doing the music for them. And so he was trying to describe to me what you guys were doing and like how you wanted it to go. I was like, okay. I tried a few things and kind of like put together my favorite parts of all those without actually doing the same things, you know? Mm -hmm. And I know that's like really vague, but... <laughs> But I did know that there was going to be like uh, a theremin thing, you know, like the, the thing somehow. Um, or was there? Yeah. Did I end up putting that in there? I haven't listened to this in a while. I don't think so. I think I, it seems like it's going more like an X-Files direction. It was the piano. I remember now. Okay. Yeah. Now, now I'm putting it together. Um, hashtag release the theremin cut now, though. I may have used that for another Halloween or spooky thing. <laughs> But the piano stuff, I remember I actually looked for several sounds that had like noise in the sample. So I think hopefully I'm remembering this part correctly. If you listen closely enough to the theme as the piano is playing, you'll hear like cranking and stuff in the background. <laughs> gotta check that um, out did scott ever share with you with a screenshot of what i named all the tracks no i have to see that sometime i have this thing where like i want to be able to look at something real quick and know what it is so if i just put like piano one piano two drums I, it could be anything so it'll always be something like satan's fart like you know gassy ghost or something like that and i'll be oh yeah that thing yeah that's like an actual memory technique like competitive memory people when they like try to remember something they make some sort of goofy association with it in order to make it to remember it easier that's actually like a real technique that people yeah use. there's a song i'm working on with my friend peter and one of the instruments i don't even know how to explain it but you'll hear this in pop songs every once in a while there'll be like a vaguely human but kind of robotic voice in the background just doing like one note every four bars it's like oh whatever and so i threw that in in one of the tracks and i just named it like robot orgasming in the distance <laughs> um that's that, that 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 that's a one-line poem right there, there. <laughs> hi everybody welcome to the show it's probably not aliens scott's out today but i'm very very happy that at very long overdue friend of ours decided to step into the show to help us out today this is rod kim everybody he is a musician and i will say you're a musician, TikToker, <laughs> you just are a various other person, various other activities type person. 
But um, I will say that you're a very, I say musician first right now because you're a very accomplished musician. And he's a musician that everybody in listening to the show, I guarantee 100% of people have heard because Rod wrote the theme song to the podcast. It's probably not Aliens that you're listening to right now. So Yeah, I did. Yeah. It was a lot of fun working on it. I, I love like kind of challenging pieces and stuff, you know, not that this is like a, a Bach piece or something, but like usually fly to the bumblebees. Yeah. Right. Yeah. But usually I, I get an assignment like write a 90s rock song, which I love, but that's, you know, I could do that in my sleep. When Scott was like, we need something for the show that doesn't exist yet. And we're going to be tackling ancient aliens. I was like, I don't know where this is going, but let's go. Let's do it. <laughs> yeah, it, it works. Like, um, I don't know if this is like what you went for, but like the piano line, stuff like that, it, it even evokes the actual ancient aliens tv show theme song and stuff so kind of yeah i i I watched a lot of like that reference material which was really interesting because i'm more grateful for your guys's show because i think i told scott this in the past or i might even left a review on one of your podcast platforms this show scratches an itch for me that likes to be entertained by like conspiracy theories but i'm not the type of person that actually believes in any of that stuff you know Oh, yeah. Oh, I've never heard that before, but I like it. Especially like your earlier episodes when you're setting up everything with like all the uh, like the philosophy stuff and things like yeah. I like talking about all the why someone would think that that's a plane, you know, or some like weird metal thing as a source of energy and stuff. But I don't want to actually like I don't actually believe that <laughs> Megatron came down and gave the Earth like technology. <laughs> Yeah, that's the other part that you're in this podcast is that uh, Scott pointed out when you saw Transformers and texted him about oh, yeah. uh, the secret good Michael Bay move of like not uh, taking away. Kind of. I think Michael Bay didn't even really direct this one. I think he was like a oh, producer no. or whatever. But yeah, no, the, the the was it Rise of the Beast? Whatever the Beast Wars one that just came out was. They, yeah. they specifically made a really like strange but awesome call out they're like no uh, we would never want to take away you know credit to human advancement <laughs> i was like oh it's like oh god interesting okay did not expect that one okay yeah. but yeah rod rod kim is here he's uh like as i said tiktoker musician <laughs> you've written music for television you've written music for like the youtube music library yep. i'm trying to think of like all the other various you every time we talk you let me know about six other gigs you've had over the years that involve like various interesting stories and encounters with, um, I've heard you have encounters with various celebrities ending up on <laughs> random TV shows, meeting a vampire who, uh, like you've had all sorts of things. Yeah. It's just, uh, I think it's, it's just a par for the course living in Los Angeles. But, uh, as far as like the random gigs go, man, I call that the immigrant kid hustle, you know, like my parents are Korean immigrants and like, so we just do what it takes to survive. And I, uh, either fortunately or unfortunately, don't have any other skills <laughs> besides making things and writing music. So whatever fits that. Although you are um, you are apparently the king of being in the right place at the right time, it seems. <laughs> What's uh, my, my friend Mari, her slogan is show up and don't be an asshole. So that's my. Uh, yeah, you definitely seem to have figured that one out. <laughs> Trying. <laughs> The general idea of the show, this is It's Probably Not Aliens, a podcast where we talk about ancient astronaut theories, pseudo-history, pseudo-archaeology, debunk ancient aliens. Basically, if it is a conspiracy theory and it is in the area of aliens and UFOs, we'll probably get there eventually. And we're <laughs> focusing on ancient aliens to kind of get started. I'm Tristan Johnson. I did research 
today to talk about the topic today. And as I said several times, I'm here with Rod Kim. Hello. Yeah, I'm, I'm Rod. Uh, Tristan basically covered it all. I'm a, I'm a songwriter here in Los Angeles. Um, and most recently, if I sound or kind of look familiar, uh, my, my TikTok has popped off in the last year. It's almost, I don't know when this is coming out, but been about a year, probably by the time you heard this, that my TikTok popped off because one night I got high and started talking about 90s music. And so... <laughs> That's why I do a lot now. There's a bunch of videos on TikTok about that, but it's something I do anyways. So now I just have to hit record. <laughs> Sweet. Yeah. You can't uh, you can't spend time with Rod without walking away with like at least like 23 stories. Half of them are like fun facts about the music industry and the other half are fun facts about the music industry that involve Rod specifically. <laughs> uh, yeah, we're having a fun time talking today. I got a decent one for you. I feel pretty good about this one. This is uh, pretty fun. How much do you know about Tamil people or the Tamil region of southern India? Not at all. <laughs> How about Sri Lanka? I've heard of Sri Lanka. Today we're going to southern India. Okay. Now, we've done a few episodes where we go to India, but as happens often when you talk about India, far too uh, much attention is given to northern Indian stuff. The, the culture is very hegemonic and very often the multiple different uh, ethnicities and languages and such like that get overlooked. But today we're talking about one of those oft overlooked people, Tamils, who speak a different language and they have a very ancient relationship with Hinduism. A lot of like stories from ancient Hinduism take place in Tamil speaking regions, including uh, the very like uh, Tamil heavy speaking language country of Sri Lanka. It's the main area we're going to. And uh, we're going to talk about a place called Kumari Kandam. Mm, okay. That, why does that, have you talked about that before? Because I can't think of where I would have heard that. This is the second episode in the last like maybe a few months where we have talked about Indian Atlantis, but you have said that you're about a year behind on the actual show. Yeah, so I don't show, think I've so. heard that. <laughs> hmm. Hmm, okay, I don't know. Well, we're going to learn about a new thing today. So the idea is, this is from an episode that we're covering of Ancient Aliens, where it's just all, it's the water-themed episode. Oh, nice. You know, we did an Atlantis episode. We did an episode on an ancient civilization existing in, like, ancient, like, northern India, We've done like sunken ruins, all that kind of stuff. It's all very water themed. And uh, spoiler for everybody, the next episode that we're doing is getting into underground things. Ooh. So we're yeah, we're rolling on with that with that theme as the show goes on. So one of the ones, though, is that and this happens a lot. It seems that there's a lot of hidden continents all over the place. <laughs> and Kumari Kondam, and I just have to make sure I do not say Kumari Kondam. <laughs> so. Here's the idea. Millions of people around the world, millions of uh, ancient astronaut theorists believe that there are ancient monuments deep underwater that suggest that there is this region where a once thriving metropolis has submerged and that the theory of what this place looked like comes from India's Sangam literature, which the first two Sangams are said to have been taken place in a mythical land called Kumari Kandam. And Kumari Kandam is described as this landmass that was once above the water thousands of years ago, but then sunk under the seas and claims that these places are real and that they are underneath the Indian Ocean. And as I research into this, uh, I like to figure out what what is this thing that we're talking about? What's going on? And 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 where, who, how? I found myself going into Tamil revivalist movements <laughs> or the ancient lost continent of Mu and the development of plate tectonic theories. So we're going to some strange places today. I was going to say, up until this point, 
this is and I know this is kind of like the trick of the the show, well, not the show, but just this whole theory stuff. Everything sounds like remotely plausible. You know, a nation maybe did fall off into the ocean or whatever, but it's going to go off the rails from here. <laughs> well, we will see. So, so, but you're 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 making a good point, which is that there are a lot of myths of civilizations that once existed and were big and great and then sank into the ocean. Mm-hmm. You've got Atlantis. You've got um, Mu is the big one, I believe, for uh, it's like in Chinese mythology. Mm-hmm. There's, and this isn't even the only one in India, but it turns out that like one of the interesting things you can make a connection with is that they all seem to be in places where they have a history of earthquakes, oh. which is a fun uh, thing. And there is some like interesting aspects to this story as well, because like places like Sri Lanka used to be connected to the landmass of India. And then like in a matter of centuries ago, there was like an earthquake or a tsunami or something like that that actually broke this land bridge between the island and the, and the main continent. So it is a recurring thing. So I like try to look into it and be like, all right, what is this specific case of it going to be? And it turns out that basically it's this idea that the in a place called the uh, Prakruli River in the north of the Kumari River in the south, there was this area that spanned something called 700 kavatam, which is a unit of measurement that we don't know okay. <laughs> today. So this is the part where like people are like, oh, so this area, 700 kavatam, is that like a city? Is that like a continent? Like, you know, that could yeah. be of various different sizes. But what they claimed is that this ancient civilization in these actual like literatures about it that come from like Tamil speaking regions uh, specifically, they claim that there were 49 territories that were classified into these categories. So there were like, seven coconut lands there were seven mango lands seven front sandy lands seven back sandy lands seven hilly lands seven coastal lands and seven dwarf palm lands this is like a really adorable delicious version of like the last airbender avatar kingdoms it's true the mango <laughs> benders attacked the yeah. coconut benders would be pretty deadly though right they're the fire nation of this this lore <laughs> just cracking skulls with their coconuts and that basically uh, what happened was that when this land was lost, the Padrayan king compensated for it by seizing an equivalent amount of land from neighboring kingdoms called Cheras and Cholas. This is like a big part of like Southern Indian culture. Mm-hmm. Many Tamil Hindu shrines have legendary accounts of big floods that were survived that show up in Hindu mythology. There are temples in Kanyakumari. Kanchipuram, Kumbakonam, uh, Madurai, all, all of the, all of my Southern Indian friends are the only ones who know these words and can tolerate my mispronunciation. Sirkazi and um, Tiruvayitur uh, are said to have survived these floods. And that legends say that these temples, that speak of other temples that submerge under the sea, such as the seven pagodas of Mahabalapuram. Uh, all, lots, lots of proper nouns to, to really... Uh, to really juice into it. This is a lot of detail. Like someone's doing like good record keeping or like a very good storyteller. I guess a little bit of both. <laughs> what I would, the way that I would explain it is that, so Hinduism is a very, very old religion, mm-hmm. you know, thousands of years old. I think the earliest evidences of um, of some of it come to like 5,000 years old. And like Christianity is a very young religion in comparison mm-hmm. and also is very much centered around one specific guy and one specific narrative. While Hinduism is not so much a like religion that formalized around like a specific 
code, but more like it took like the cultural myths and folkways and stuff and and various different like bodies of writing from various different cultures and formulated a faith system that then when exposed to the world of various other religions had to draw a circle around that and say, this is our religion. Mm, okay. Which means that it has a lot like there's, there's stuff about it that's very local. There's stuff about it that there's like similar stories in different places that are told in very different ways. Uh, so it's like a mix of like religion and like culture and like local legend and like all that kind of stuff all kind of met, merged together. And so oftentimes you find like similar stories that say end up in different pla- regions of the country or different, you know, Hindu worshiping regions that have been altered to be more local or to be more like uh, applicable to the place that they're in. Gotcha. Uh, so you might see the same story over and over again. But some of the things you do see is like uh, there's a Hindu flood myth mm-hmm. in South India uh, that refers to the legend of Manu, which when I floated this with my friend who is a Hindu, she pointed out to me that Manu is sort of like the term for like guy. Oh, like, so there's like a guy there's like Manu is sort of like the 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 Hindu version of like the Noah's Ark story. Okay. But the guy's name is sort of like if the guy's name was like humanity or like man, gotcha, like that kind gotcha. of thing. So it wasn't Noah. It's like uh like boat dude yeah exactly the problem though that i found when i was looking at some of these things and i've i've done some research is that none of a lot of these ancient texts or their medieval commentaries use the name kumari kandam for the land that had been lost to the sea they don't state that this lost land was a whole continent located south of kanya kumari so there's there's definitely lots of like myths and legends about great powerful cities and kingdoms and such like that no references to any continent and none by this actual name. So not not off to a great start. <laughs> yeah. Wait, so it's kind of based in this faith, but not originated from it? Is that the dichotomy of this? <laughs> so uh, we got it. We got, well, there is so much more to dig into. Yeah. It gets so much more fun. So like, it's a mix of like the sort of particular national interconnected politics of India mm-hmm. and British imperialism and just pr- like different science that we had at the time. So it, get, it gets wild. So this continent, Kumari Kandam, which was described to be lost, this ancient Tamil civilization, was supposedly supposed to be located south of present-day India in the Indian Ocean. It was built off of a different theory of there being a submerged continent in the area that was speculated in the 19th century called Lemuria. So there's a buried, there's a big part that is important there. So Lemuria. Uh-huh. What's the first word that comes to mind when you when you hear that term? Like luminous or lumens. How about lemur? lemur. Oh, I went in a completely different direction. <laughs> <laughs> if you think about it in a way, the origin of Kumari Kandam being this lost continent actually begins in 1864 with a guy named Philip Sclater who found fossils in Madagascar of lemurs, which are sort of a species of like primates that live in Madagascar. Uh-huh. So if you can put on your like mental global map and see like India and Madagascar, there's sort of like a whole Indian Ocean between the two. It's kind of funny you say that because even before, like when you said like the second or third like geographic location, um, imagine my face in that uh, meme of all like the math equations (laughs) around um, uh, the the lady's head. Uh, That's me because I'm not great at geography, but I'm kind of I'm kind of there. I'm kind of there. You you did a good hand motion, so I can kind of get a decent grasp. if you think about like like the, the continent of Africa, right, mm-hmm. on its east coast is there's a big island called Madagascar, right? Yeah. Right off the east coast of, of, of Africa. It used to be a French colony. Now it's independent. India, if you kind of like follow Africa up and go up through like the Arabian Peninsula, you eventually end up over on India. Mm-hmm. And southern India, 
right there. So Madagascar, there's like a whole bunch of Indian Ocean between the two. In 1864, Philip Sclater tried to explain the fact that he found lemur fossils in Madagascar because lemurs today live in Madagascar, mm. but then also found lemur fossils on the Indian subcontinent, but did not find them anywhere else in Africa, nor did he find any in the Middle East. His original thought would be as a paleontologist, something that in the past, there were lemurs that existed like all over, uh, like all over the area, but there aren't any in Africa so, or, or the Middle East, which implies that at some point there was a landmass where lemurs would have existed in Madagascar and in India at the same time. So there must have been land connecting the two of some kind. I, I guess I could see how you could arrive at that <laughs> that theory. <laughs> Maybe mm-hmm. is that how we think? Is that how we think about animals nowadays? I've never thought about this. <laughs> There's a critical piece missing. Okay, <laughs> he's not insane. This isn't actually like the worst idea in the world, given what he knew about geology at the time he lived. But you could imagine that if you see animal bones in one place in the world, another place in the world, but not any of the land between them, Mm -hmm. and it's a land-based animal, that you would come to conclude that it's possible that there might be some land that is gone that connected them at some point, Mm -hmm. or else how would they have gotten there, right? Yeah. And so this, this story developed as the 19th century, the 1800s, was a period where people were getting into weird esoteric occult type stuff so anything that was like a weird wild scientific claim and also there's like limited science education and uh, science was like advancing very fast but education wasn't necessarily at the same time and scientific rigor wasn't exactly as high as it is today so somebody poses a wild theory that uh, a theoretical continent exists called lemuria and Six years later, another biologist named Ernst Haeckel suggests that Lemuria could also just be the ancestral home of humans. What? Why? I don't know. <laughs> I was gonna, we made the leap from like this uh, paradise of lemurs to like maybe this is the cradle of human civilization. Why not? It's true. Now, I mean, it would be close to 100 years before we started digging up like fossils that really solidified the connection about like because at this time they're like, where did humans come from? We're not exactly sure. Mm-hmm. The sort of out of Africa theory didn't really come into full fruition until like the 1950s, 1960s, mm-hmm. especially with the discovery of like Australopithecus with Lucy in the 1960s and such. Oh, so, yeah. Um, Johansson. He was named after Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds. Oh, really? <laughs> yeah, because that was like the the popular song at the time when they discovered. Oh, that's great. I don't know if you saw my, my cat's name is Lucy. She just like perked up when you called her. Ah. <laughs> Hi, Lucy. Yeah, yeah. Your, your writing partner, I think, yeah, right. refer to her. <laughs> my producer. Usually, I have a chair back there where there is usually a cat, but mm-hmm. there is not one now. So this is like where it gets started. It gets picked up by this guy named Ernst Haeckel, and then it gets picked up by another person named... Helena Blavatsky, who this is like the third or fourth time we've talked about her in this uh, show. So Helena Blavatsky is the founder of something called Theosophy, which is sort of this YouTube channel. (laughs) Sounds like one. There probably is one. Theosophy (laughs) was this like 19th century movement that she basically claimed that she saw a bunch of like Eastern mystics. This is the time where like the only vision of Asian people to a lot of people in the West was just like mystical people from far off lands yeah, yeah. so she thought that she met a bunch of eastern mystics who taught her all of the secrets of the universe and it was a lot of like you know a kind of like occult stuff and she was like a a uh, eastern european immigrant to the u.s and like got picked up by a bunch of like victorian people who were just kind of into cool occult stuff and eventually white supremacy got mixed in there and all sorts of wild <laughs> stuff so Helena Blavatsky and like theosophy is like a thing that should be its own episode in in itself at some point. I believe there actually is a uh, behind the bastards episode about Helena Blavatsky. Oh, nice. So was it ever clarified if she actually 
met some mystics or were they just like foreigners that she had met and assumed? My assumption is that she just completely made that up whole cloth. Okay, got you. I didn't know if you were going to say like she like went to a restaurant or like just met some locals somewhere. She's like, ooh, look at the. (laughs) Yeah, not even that, I don't think. Oh, man. So she developed this into another like thing that like not only was Lemuria the homeland of human ancestors, but that they were called Lemurians (laughs) and added it into her own doctrine. So they worked backwards from the lore. Yeah. Like their current vocabulary and then like made it fit history. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, she's filling the world building out until the 20th century came around and we discovered uh, a new fact about the world. We discovered that plate tectonics exists, which basically would have filled in like, hey, how are those bones in Madagascar and India? And it's because there was a time when those continents were together and now they're not anymore. Literally earth shattering. (laughs) Yeah. As somebody who lives in California, I'm sure you are no stranger to plate tectonics being a part of your life. I was going to say, when you were talking about like these different like land masses, like falling off to the ocean and stuff, I was like, listen, like we maybe a hundred years from now, we'll be talking about like, was California real? (laughs) Oh no. The lost land of California. In in this fossil pile, we found a guy with a piano and like a cat remains on top of the piano. We don't know what this story was. (laughs) See, I don't, I don't live in California and I know there's, there's gotta be like a huge gap between like the perception of reality and actual reality. If you were to like have like a little thing on the wall that says this many days since last earthquake, how often are earthquakes actually? I don't know the exact number, uh, but I've been told that there are hundreds in a week. We just like, they're usually just so like, we don't feel them. Okay. How often between like ones that you actually like you feel it? Oh man. I mean, I, so I'm a bad example because I don't feel any of them. I don't know if that's just me or if I'm used to it. But like I feel like the the ones that get you know you hear about and stuff are as frequent as I used to hear about like tornadoes or even like bad rainstorms when I lived in the Midwest. It's a couple a year, maybe more. Like I mean, okay. a few was it a couple months ago or a few weeks ago we had a hurricane. That was a first, you know, Ooh. because uh, one of the reasons, uh, many many reasons I moved from the East Coast to L.A. was because you know every every region of the world is going to have their natural disaster. I like earthquakes if I had to pick one because God just takes you. There's no like you know tornadoes and stuff like there's like long, long periods of time of worrying about it. Hurricanes, long periods of time worrying about it, and then like we had this historic like hurricanes heading towards L.A. like directly. <laughs> And oh God. in the middle of that, we had a uh, an earthquake. That was just what a couple of weeks ago. So I feel like maybe maybe even like half a dozen times a year or more of the the ones that okay. you can feel. But other than that, like you can go to Griffith Observatory and there's like a thing there that shows you like all the active earthquakes that are currently happening. <laughs> and it's just like polka dots Dear all over God. the state of California. I thought it was going to be like a massively overstated thing, but it sounds like yeah, like uh, so you, like you could you go through an entire year without feeling one earthquake, or is it like you'll get at least one? I think you at least get one. Yeah. Okay. I, least, I mean, it, it, I mean, I think one more than that. I, I think one would be low for a year. <laughs> okay. Interesting. Okay. As someone who lives in a place where there aren't earthquakes, mind-boggling. I wouldn't yeah, even well, know how to it, react. I think rain is more rare here. Like heavy rain is more rare here than earthquakes. Oh, wow. <laughs> I'm guessing that most of the time by earthquake, you mean it feels like someone turned up the base briefly and then kind of goes away. Yeah, that's the thing is, like I said, I, I don't feel them uh, most of the time. So I, I'm not a bad gauge at that. But yeah, as, as far as like, I, I think is it like the fives or whatever when you start seeing like stuff move? Mm-hmm. Maybe, yeah, that. But otherwise, I guess they're just all the time. So you just don't really, you know, notice. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> one day, yeah, one day when the San Andreas Fault falls into the ocean or whatever, uh, Maybe, maybe it'll go a different way. Maybe you won't fall into the ocean, but it'll just, you'll get Gavin Newsom's wish of like making the California Republic Island nation. (laughs) 
Not the worst place to be, I guess. I don't know. No, I like it. I like water it. might be a problem. Yeah, water's always a problem here. <laughs> no one has any fresh water. Everyone's drinking almond milk. Um, <laughs> Oat milk now. Get with the times. Ah, uh, dang. See, I'm like, I'm on that almond milk grind, just be- uh, but I feel like uh, I feel like I shouldn't. I feel guilty for, for still being on that. So apparently it's bad oh, for, for like water, water and stuff. And I'm not good with keeping yeah. up with any of that. I think from what I can remember, soy milk is like the default. Uh-huh. You're not pissing off anybody by drinking soy milk. But Jim Bros have made up some weird bullshit about it. So now people don't drink it anymore. Second is uh, almond milk, which is the healthiest one, but it is the most environmentally destructive one. <laughs> and then oat milk is sort of like the less healthy one, but by far the most like water, like environmentally friendly one. Uh, okay. I wonder if that's why they've been like pushing it a lot. Like I, I just see more ads about it. So I end up just choosing it. Like it totally works on me. <laughs> yeah. At the moment where we have to drink like uh, this, uh, this house right now, because of like our current life situation, we are like buying. There are so many different milks that have to live in our house because we still have to buy like homo milk or I don't even know what you guys call it in America. You don't call it homo milk. It was just like house whole milk. milk? Oh, whole milk. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like where, where it's not like well, it's pasteurized, but just, but it's not like, yeah, it's not skim or anything. Yeah, we have to get that for the uh, for the toddler. Mm-hmm. And then we're on the almond milk for coffee. Anyways, this is getting a very off topic <laughs> on brand off topic. But we have to talk about earthquakes and and different nut milks when we have a Californian on the yeah, show. Right. Uh, we also we just have to next thing we have to do is talk about a dog psychic or something. Yeah, I know uh, one of those. <laughs> there you go. Of course you do. So so yeah, the Lemuria like got bought into by like you know nineteenth century Victorian uh, like you know eclectic occult type circles. But then once the sunken land bridge like theory became pretty standard, and we realized that the reason why Madagascar and India both had lemurs at one point in the past is because at one point they were the same landmass and that India is actually like a fairly recent addition to Eurasia. Okay. This is one of those things like if you want to know how recent or how like uh, fast plate tectonics are moving, one of the good signs is where the big mountains at. <laughs> so this is why like the, the Appalachian mountains, which is like the place where we last saw each other at Scott's wedding. Oh, yeah. That place is very old because those mountains are actually not that tall. But if you look at like the Himalayas north of India, where literal Mount Everest is like that is a new mountain range because like the Indian continent just like smashed into Asia. basically. Oh, wow. I didn't know it worked that way. So the taller they are like the. Yeah, because they haven't older. had time to erode down yet. OK. Got, oh, no. The shorter they are, the, the older, older they are. are. OK. Interesting. Yeah. This is why I'm a musician. I don't know science. <laughs> I don't know science. Yeah. Trust me. There's already a geologist ready to send me an email about how okay. that's well, actually. Kind of yeah, I'm gonna I'm getting well actually as we speak. <laughs> but that basically killed the idea of this theoretical continent. So that's when it basically phased out of being anything that a scientist could take seriously because we realized that that's a much more reasonable explanation than there being a sunken continent. Mm-hmm. But of course, something that is theoretical science getting becoming obsolete does not mean that it did not collect onto uh, the fringe, just kind of hanging on to it. So it was obsolete, but then people started to latch onto it. Uh, some works by people like James Churchward referred to it as Mu, which is the name of a mythical uh, sunken continent in Chinese mythology and identified it as a lost continent in the Pacific Ocean when it is in the Indian Ocean. <laughs> and that uh, people have started to speculate that there's connections between Lemuria and Atlantis, often sometimes blending the two because, as I said, almost every place that has earthquakes has legends of lost continents. <laughs> like California someday. Mm-hmm. So that's that's like sort of that's like one of the ways that this became like a mainstream thing is that this this theoretical Lemuria continent was uh, was on top of that. Yeah. 
now there's the other side of it. So we actually have to go to like different movements. Another movement that exists at the same time, or at least is building itself up, especially in the 20th century, is something called Tamil revivalists. So one of the things to know about India and to all Indians out there, I sincerely apologize uh, for like everything that's going to happen in the next few minutes. Um, So India is a country that has a lot of history. Mm -hmm. I feel like that's not a hard thing to say, but like India has had multiple like cultural influences and colonizations over the years to mean various things like it was a British colony until the 1940s. But before then, there was also a large influence of Northern Indian culture being very apparent because of uh, the Mughals who invaded like, you know, hundreds and hundreds of years ago, who sort of conquered a big swath of India and became some of the more culturally powerful parts of the subcontinent. Because before the British showed up, you can kind of refer to India in the same way that you could refer to Europe. It was a subcontinent full of lots of different countries, principalities, all sorts of things, right? But a lot of them were like either successor states or they were in some way related to the old Mughal. So what that led to was like uh, Mughal culture, but also northern Indian culture became very prominent and dominant. For example, uh, northern India is where the Hindi, the language comes from, that has now kind of become the de facto language of India today. Mm-hmm. The common things that you think about when you think of Indian food are typically northern Indian food with like uh, kind of ties more to the north the Northwest, like the Punjab region. Mm -hmm. So like, I don't know I know Indian food kind of came late to America, but you also live on the West coast. So like, I'm sure the typical, most, most times when you think of your typical Indian food dishes, they are mostly either British or Northern Indian. I was going to say, I had just recently learned that a lot of the Indian food that I know about was actually filtered through like British, like, almost not like fast casual Indian food. Like I I just watched this whole thing about how like, I think it was a chicken tikka masala or something is like not really a standard Indian dish. (laughs) It's just something. No, no, that's very British. Very British. But then like now, like through the filter of, you know, the the British subculture into America is like, Mm -hmm. it's advertised as like genuine. Like I can go to like down the street. There's like four places that have, you know, quote unquote, genuine uh, chicken tikka masala. (laughs) This is maybe it's a Scottish restaurant. Right. Because, like, honestly, like that kind of stuff, I'm like, ah, you know, food crosses culture and filters for different things. Yeah. British. Yeah. It, it, it's just it's just British food that they got. They took from India. But like uh, when you think of southern Indian food, I know because we just went last week. But like if you've ever had things like they have a completely different like types of food, their food has a lot features, a lot more coconuts, features these um these crepe things called dosas. And they typically are more vegetarian or vegan in nature. Ooh. Not always, but they can be more. I'm I'm vegetarian, so I might have just like inadvertently had a lot of that. <laughs> yeah, so yeah, that that then you may very well may have. So, but in the South, the language was not primarily Hindi, but it was primarily. I mean, there's a lot of them. There's Bengali, and like I'm very oversimplifying yeah, here yeah, because yeah. India is made up of many different regions, and some of them like the other the other big language like Gujarati is its own language, Telugu, but Bengali, which is like a, sort of like on the 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 east coast of India, going up to Bangladesh, mm-hmm. but in the South. Like the very, very south and like Sri Lanka, which is sort of like a little island that's like off of India and the Indian state of Tamil Nadu. Okay. That region is primarily uh, Tamil speaking. That is their language. That's their culture. And so we're talking about a group called Tamil revivalists who uh, in many ways, like I I had a chat with my with my friend from India uh, when I was getting ready to do this episode. And she filled me in that like in like these Tamil speak. And also, I don't know if I'm going to be like leaning into any of her like regional biases or anything like that either 
but uh but like Tamils have like they're like very very Hindu they would consider themselves like the most pure Hindus and have like like Hinduism is like very very deep in that place okay. while like other regions would have more of like a Buddhist or is our Muslim influence as well okay this is like the sort of like the most ancient of Hindu places and many of like the big events in Hinduism mythology trace their lineage to places that are from like Tamil speaking places So uh, according to some Tamil revivalists who are trying to bring Tamil back, like Tamil language to make it more prominent and have more of their own distinct identity, claim that the first two Tamil library academies, which are called the Sangams, were organized in a place called Kumari Kandam. The earliest explicit discussion of these lands being lost to the ocean is found in commentaries dating to the later centuries of the first millennium CE, but they don't provide concrete evidence of the existence of it being described in ancient astronaut theories. There is references to lost lands, but not a reference to there being a lost continent. And it's the earliest known literature of Southern India, historically referred to as the poetry of the noble ones. The Tamil tradition links Sangam literature to three literary gatherings about Madurai and Kapatapuram. Uh, and these gatherings are said to have occurred over 4,440 years ago, 3,700 years ago, and 1,850 years ago before the common era. So they're very, very old. Yeah, wow. Okay, so they're, they're just trying to kind of fill in blanks with other blanks. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and I will also mention, though, that like uh, many, uh, many scholars who've studied this text suspect that this is probably ahistorical and mythical, because if there's one thing uh, we've also talked about in Hinduism is that like Hinduism is kind of an extremely metal religion. OK, because for various reasons, but basically like uh, Hinduism has a lot of like with this belief that like, you know, samsara, the earth is like we are all like in just a constant state of rebirth and continuation. Mm -hmm. It means that they deal with things like happening over like they have no issues with talking about like that these two fought for a million years. And like one of their most holy books is like a huge war where like all the gods took aside and like just like battles with like arrows that could fire lightning down from the skies and could destroy entire cities and like like that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. So uh, very often ancient aliens, people have latched onto it because they're like, oh, was this a nuclear, was this Brahma weapon, a nuclear bomb? And it's like, oh, it's sort of like just like this cool mythical thing from like Hindu mythology. Yeah. It's like an unknown um, origin. Well, not an unknown origin, but like unexplained origin. So it's like kind of fits the brand. Yeah. The, the scholars who have studied the Sangam literature probably suspect that they were written between the years 100 BCE to 250 CE. So that was between about 1750 years ago to uh, about 2100 years ago. OK, give or take just based on like studying language or, and, you know, uh, historic allusions and things like that. So a far cry from like being from like you know, I think the oldest claim they had there was something like almost 7,000 years ago. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. That's before even the earliest evidence of there being settled civilization in India. So yeah, so not the the most, uh, what's the word, like reliable <laughs> yeah. of accounts. Mm -hmm. But the thing is that the Sangam literature was discovered fairly recently. It went missing for a really long time for basically most of the second millennium. Around the year like 1000 CE, a lot of the Sangam literature went missing, but then was rediscovered in the late 19th century around the time that we were having theories about the lemurs and all that kind of stuff in the mythical continents. Was it Nicolas Cage that found it? Nicolas Cage hadn't been born yet, unfortunately, <laughs> but he we, we, we also could not preclude him having a time machine. So right? it could have been. He's, yeah. he's timeless. He exists in all timelines. <laughs> he's, he's a time lord. Yeah, there you go. He's a nexus Whenever being. Whenever he dies, 
he uh, <laughs> regenerates into another Nicolas Cage. But yeah, this body of of literature has all sorts of topics. They talk about love. They talk about war. They talk about religion. And it represents a lot of classical poetry and is considered a significant part of Tamil culture and history. Mm-hmm. While the literature describes various landscapes and mythical territories, one of the things, again, as I mentioned, there's no mention of specifically a place called Kumari Kandam. The claims of sunken landmasses and the existence of Sangams have been dismissed by historiographers. So that's like the, the main thing is like, yes, there's, there's, there's stuff written in here about lost lands, lost kingdoms. But it's not like one place called Kumari Kondam that existed. The word Kumari Kondam doesn't show up at all. So they're they're just like taking any like unnamed like land from various mythologies and just giving one name to all of them? Yes. Okay. So what we're seeing here is basically like, if you think about it, at this point, India was under British rule. Mm-hmm. So Tamil people are rediscovering this literature that had been lost in their culture for a long time. They feel a little bit like, you know, subjugated from British imperialism, but also from the sort of cultural hegemony of Northern Indian culture. And so people who are really into trying to raise up Tamil culture and build Tamil identity bring into this and combine with this like modern scientific theory of there being this lost continent between Southern India and Madagascar, along with this literature that speaks of like lost lands and all that kind of stuff and combine it into this Kumari Kandam like concept yeah, yeah that really takes hold then when the science moves on from this concept because of the discovering of plate tectonics scientists don't buy into it anymore but people who have vested interests in hanging on to it because i've either occultism or because of like national revival movements still hang on to it yeah and it's pretty it's probably pretty tough to and i could even say this for some western like religions and beliefs and stuff it's probably hard to like let go of something if you've like kind of based your faith system around it Mm-hmm. Although this was very recent, like, like I said, the, the books disappeared until like the late 19th century. So mm-hmm. it was very much like trying to like they're trying to build a movement to build this identity. They don't. And then they find this treasure trove of ancient writing that speaks of a lost land. And at the same time, the Europeans are talking about there being a lost continent. It's very easy to like draw that connection. Yeah. And if it helps make your case, it's easy to keep believing in it (laughs) but yeah um, multiple ancient and medieval tamil and sanskrit works have accounts of lands in south india being lost to the ocean but they're not validated they're probably part of folklore and belief the concept of extraterrestrial beings being part of these assemblies is not supported by any evidence whatsoever that's Uh, a surprise it is just them (laughs) because the the alien part of like them being like well the aliens must have taken it out or they must have had alien technology something like that that's just ancient aliens showing up and taking this and then going oh also aliens are here which all which happens occasionally on this thing too it's something even though i mean you're behind on the show i find like i know that that's a, a a running gag it's like well we don't know it's either aliens or I guess now cake, maybe. Yeah, <laughs> it's true. Oh, my goodness. The term Kumari Kandam actually originally shows up in the ancient days of sometime in the 1930s. Oh, so also not very old. No, it seems to be derived somewhat from the Sanskrit word uh, Kumarika Kanda. The theory became popular among Tamil nationalists. Tamil writers came up with various theories to explain the etymology of Kumari Kandam and even claiming gender egalitarianism in the pre-Lapsian Tamil homeland. So this is another part that comes up. So Tamil nationalists get into it and start attributing all sorts of fantastical things like that this place had perfect gender equality and it was this like magical place. Pre-Lapsarian is a very big term to talk about it. So a lot of nationalist groups will imagine that there was some time in the past 
far in the past where their people had this huge, amazing, perfect culture that was then brought low by uh, different conquerors or, or forces that made everything the worst. The common concept that I can think of are things like, say, uh, in northern India with with the Hindutva movement, like Hindu nationalists will claim that like we'll make some, some supernatural claims that they're like like the Vimanas episode, right? Like ancient India had flying machines and like all these kinds of things that because like hint, there was this magical ancient Hindu civilization that was then destroyed by like usually the Muslims in their case. But a more domestic example would be maybe saying things like make America great again. Okay. There was some point in the unidentifiable past where there was a great and perfect America that we're trying to bring back. W- what period is that? Oh, oh, a period. Yeah. So it's like one of those things that was uh, always aspirational, never like attainable. Yeah. Uh, and typically if there is this like period in the past, especially if it's mythical, that they'll just throw everything. I don't want to have to go there, but this is also a thing that was claimed about like ancient Teutonic nations in like Nazi Germany, where there's like this ancient Germanic civilization that was perfect and everybody were just giant ripped supermen and then mm-hmm. they were brought low. Yeah. It was like, or what was another one of those aspirational arguments of like when men were men? It's like, well, we've been saying that every decade for the last like 100 decades. You know? Yeah. <laughs> when was this? <laughs> mm-hmm. Also, fairly often when we talk about Atlantis, this is also the same idea. Like a lot of times Atlantis is used to say that there was this ancient, super high powered civilization that seeded all of civilization. And very often when talking about Atlantis specifically, they'll be like, and they were definitely white. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Very important to point that out. And all these ancient civilizations that built all of these really cool things, they either were built by white people first or white people taught them how to do it. Very important that you all know that is part of the thing. Yeah, yeah. It's like, okay. uh, (laughs) I see where where this is going. (laughs) This is the problem is that I don't, I don't try to find the Nazis. It's just that like a lot of these theories end up going back to Nazis. (laughs) Like the theosophy and like Blavatsky and stuff like that was also very influential to like esoteric Nazis and like I'm like ah I you know I I be I, I pick my battles a lot more now um, when posting like on uh, social media in like mixed company or whatever, but mm-hmm. sometimes when I you know like there was a once I posted something about you know like white supremacy being you know a problem obviously or whatever, and someone who's like I would we'll call like um, an acquaintance more than a friend was like. Why is it always got to be about white supremacy? It's like, that's what everyone's asking. Like, <laughs> it's, except in a different tone that you you are asking, you know, it's like, why is not, why do you have to make it about that? Like, why has it been that? <laughs> mm-hmm. I'm like at this point where I almost want to like draw the conspiracy theory family tree mm-hmm. and just show how so many of them just all trace their origins to the protocols of the elders of Zion, which was like this, (laughs) it was this fake document from the late 19th century about like purportedly it was supposed to be like written by a group of Jewish people who are taught laying out their plans for world domination. And like, it was, it was fake. It was based on like fiction. It came out in Russia, which was like this, in this very anti-Semitic period in Russian history. And it, you know, it inspired like the Nazis and all that kind of stuff. So, but the thing is like, it's weird how every conspiracy theory you dig hard enough, you end up at, the protocols of the elders yeah. of Zion. It's weird how that just keeps happening. <laughs> it's a racism. The only time where it gets weird is when you get to cases like what's going on in India, where uh-huh. like you have like, you know, like the Hindutva movement, but also here you've got Kumari Kondam, which is like this attempt to build like a national identity. And in a context of colonization, like anti-colonial nationalism is its own thing. I'm not trying to excuse or try to give shit to any of these people. I'm just trying to like say, like, if you think about it in its historical context in the period where this idea came together, you can kind of see how it happened. 
Gotcha, gotcha. Yeah, just someone like uh, a region trying to find its own identity when like another one has been like extraordinarily dominant. Yeah, exactly. So the Kumari condom theory was then adopted and included in the curriculum of Madras University and Anamala University in the early 20th century and also got into big works like A Primer on Tamil Literature and uh, Tamil Varalaru. Uh, and these became part of the curriculum. So this started getting taught in universities in Tamil-speaking places. Oh, interesting. Okay. So got into curriculum. Yeah. And then in the Madras state elections, uh, the Dravidian parties came to power. The theory was disseminated more widely through schools and college textbooks. In 1971, the government of Tamil Nadu established a formal committee to write the history of Tamilakam. Yeah, Tamilakam, which is ancient Tamil territory, emphasizing the time of Lemuria that was, quote, seized by the ocean. So this got like wrapped up in this Tamil nationalist movement and became key. And, and as they took power, they started adding it to like the school system and integrated it into their uh, their history. Would it be too extreme to draw a parallel comparison to like if in Western education, if they taught us that like Atlantis was a real place? It's pretty on par. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty on brand. Yeah. <laughs> Interesting. And it was also really big in Tamil revivalists who are trying to counter the dominance of Indo-Aryans and Sanskrit. Indo-Aryan, that's just a term for like Northern Indians. Okay. So like Northern Indians and Sanskrit as a language, Sanskrit is like a, a really like ancient language that a lot of like Hindu scripture is written in. They characterize Kumari Kandam as this ancient but highly advanced civilization isolated both temporally and geographically. Again, it ties into this term called like the Tamil revivalists, which is tied to something called the Tamil Renaissance, which began in the second half of the 19th century and lasted until the anti-Hindi agitations of the 1960s. It was marked by like a literary revival movement led by two factions of Tamil writers. One tried to mix Sanskrit words with Tamil, while the other tried to minimize the use of Sanskrit origin words. So this is like a, like a literary movement where they're trying to bring back the Tamil language mm -hmm. and use it more regularly in books and vernacular and all that kind of stuff. It's so interesting. It's just like a, a war of history. But is that the right way to describe like Not like a war in history, but like of what like historical you know events were, right? It's like everybody's trying to be the one that creates the lens. Yeah. And I mean, like, if you think about it, uh, a lot of history is doing. That. Yeah, yeah. You think about like to bring it to like an American example, the way that America uh, very much struggles over its uh, legacy of remembering the Civil War mm -hmm. is very much like in the same kind of idea of competing historical narratives about what this what it meant, what it was about. And the historians know what it was about. But another side is taking an ahistorical view to try and build a different narrative of American history, right? Yeah. Well, not that we have experience with that. <laughs> yeah. But in this way, they're trying to take a language that has been marginalized and bring it back in a big way. And they're not the only country to do, like Ireland has done a lot of work to bring back Irish as a vernacular language. Like lots of indigenous groups across the Americas have done work to take languages that, you know, white colonization has actively suppressed and sometimes even caught uh like killed off mm -hmm. and bring it back and so like there's like an active effort to try and resuscitate and, and and give these languages new life which in in and of itself is like not a bad thing it's good you know mm -hmm. it's good to keep that stuff up am i just learning today that there is an irish language or is it like a like sometimes like it's called active. gaelic oh gaelic okay gotcha <laughs> Gaelic is like a family of languages, yeah. um, like like there's Scotch Gaelic and like like there's a whole bunch of different languages that could be considered the Gaelic family. Mm -hmm. Irish Gaelic is sometimes just called Irish. Gotcha. OK, it's not 
widely spoken, but everybody takes it in school as far as I can tell. Gotcha. I've, I don't know. This is a really surface level thing, but I've probably heard it in like Enya because that was really she was really big in, when I was in high school. <laughs> sure. Also, just like you can hear, like uh, you can see the origin in like really Irish names. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like O'Shaughnessy and like all this, like that kind of all has its origin in the Irish language. So like you're like, oh, that person's name Shaban. Interesting. That that doesn't seem to follow the rules of English, but yeah, then you'll know it's like or Moira and like those. Yeah. Either way, this is. So many sides to line. Um, this got wrapped into this like revivalist movement and these Western ideas, like Western ideas about like nationalism and all those kinds of things led to the Tamil revival movement also getting into the idea of nationalism. Also inspired this like growing movement of pan-Indian anti-British school of thought. And so Tamil nationalism, along with like, you know, all sorts of other nationalism showing up around the country were part of this growing consensus to build this Indian identity that was used in opposition to British identity, which would eventually be the onus to push the British out of India. And is that partition? Partition is was part different? of it. Okay. Partition, when the British pulled out of India, there was a lot of like religious and ethnic tension specifically between Hindus and Muslims. Uh-huh. And the British in their infinite wisdom took uh, a line in the Punjab region, drew it through like a straight line through there and said, all right, this side gets to belong to uh, this side gets to belong to a country that will become Hindus. This side is going to belong to a country that will become Muslims. Good luck, everybody. And unfortunately, like you know, this is a this is a continent, a subcontinent that had had people of many different religions and ethnicities and languages yeah. all living in a sort of tight mix, and it led to a big moving of people because as people were like, like Hindus in what would become Pakistan were considered like oh, I guess we're not going to be safe here, so we have to go to India. And then all the people in India who are Muslims were like, oh, shit, are we going to be like safe here? And it's like a lot of people had to cross the border and it led to like a lot of like, there'd be like you know Muslims living in India that would like have like Hindus come and take their land and the same thing, vice versa in Pakistan. And then the same thing happened in East Pakistan, which would later become Bangladesh. And just it's like the British without any indian person in the room to decide how this was going to get done just like drew a line and said all right here that's what it is yeah. and that's what partition is yay it was done by lord montbatten uh, the ira blew up his boat and killed him in the 1980s oh, i want to say so <laughs> progress yeah that's maybe that's why india and ireland have the same colors on their flag okay. <laughs> <laughs> that's that's a joke that's a joke proponents have a lot of emphasis stating that uh kanyu kumari city was part of the original kumari condom some even argue that the entire of the entirety of tamil nadu which is the state in india or the entire indian peninsula south of the uh vidyasa are part of the kumari condom so they think that some people part think that like all of southern india was at one part point part of this continent as well and so some of it is still above water yeah okay yeah exactly interesting some proponents say that the continent submerged when the ice age ended, which would then add to their civilization existing 9,000 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> they just keep pushing the timeline back and back and back. Oh, very common. Pretty much all of the work of ancient apocalypse and like Graham Hancock's work is speculating that there were like advanced civilizations that existed during the last ice age 9,000 years ago. Okay, sure. And it wasn't this that squirrel rat thing trying to hide the acorn. <laughs> it was the squirrel rat. Yeah, maybe. <laughs> I mean... He figured out so many interesting ways to get an acorn that eventually he uh, developed like high civilization. That That's going to become uh, history soon, right? Because there's so much documentation of that. There's like, oh, look, they have visual documentation of this. Yeah, exactly. In the same thing, proponents then say that when the Ice Age 
ended in very much the same way that people talk about Atlantis. The Tamil people then migrated to other places and founded new races, religions, and civilizations. So this is now the part of like going to the next level of nationalism, which is like, not only are Tamil people part of this great ancient civilization that's gone, but also we started every other civilization too. <laughs> okay, gotcha. And there's some people who are who are in this theory who believe that Tamil culture is the source of the entire civilized culture on Earth, and that Tamil is the mother language of all other languages. <laughs> Interesting. And, and I'm going to guess there's no like hard basis for that. It's just a belief yeah, it's, it's, it's just an, uh, a lot of pseudo history. Mm-hmm. When you look into it, you find that it's usually a, a nationalist group trying to put their civilization at the center of all of human history. Yeah, yeah. Again, it, it, it's mired in like complicated uh, ethnic and linguistic politics of India that I am as a predominantly Western European person, absolutely <laughs> a no place to comment on. But I will say that these theories do overshadow that there's been a lot of genuine archaeological and historical research of this region. That means that once ancient aliens comes into this complicated situation, takes this, you know, a historic theory that is being purported for a very specific political purpose that is very unique to India, and then says, actually, aliens, you can see that it's, again, taking a three-dimensional complicated situation, put making it two-dimensional, and then also throwing a science fiction veneer on it so that nobody also takes it seriously. Yeah, and also taking something that I'm assuming, like, would take most people, like, years, if not, you know, longer to understand and putting into, like, what, how long these episodes, like, 20, 30 minutes? Like, oh, yeah. This wasn't even an episode of Ancient Aliens. Ancient Aliens usually runs an hour. Yeah. But this would have been covered in, like, maybe total, like, two minutes. No, that's to, a, if that. that's enough, you, I, you learn everything you need through, through TikTok, right? Yeah, you can't learn in sixty <laughs> seconds. Not worth learning. Man, ancient aliens would do gangbusters. Do on not TikTok. give them that idea. You know that that would be uh, all we see on our timeline. <laughs> <laughs> because not only is it like they only cover anything for like two minutes at a time, but also TikTok is like retreating back into the dark ages when it comes to like conspiracy theories and like scientific understanding and stuff like that. See, and that's why I, I like listening to your show when I'm like driving or whatever because. I hate feeding like the short form algorithm of like, I love hearing stories of like glitches in the matrix and stuff, you know, but not as in I'm going to walk out the door and use that as my like actual basis of reality. It's just a fun Mm -hmm. story to hear, you know? Yeah. It also shows that these theories can be used to fuel nationalistic or ethnocentric narratives because as this Tamil nationalism movement moved from being this like resistance to colonization to like an ethnic revival movement, it eventually turned into sort of like a, like an ethnocentric thing. I'm not an expert on Indian history. Mm. I am a person who did this research, who has a few Indian friends that I conversed with about these topics, and also somebody who grew up with a lot of like, you know, first generation Indian immigrants in the community that I grew up in. Mm. And I'm kind of going off of the things I know from all of that. But obviously, that is an extremely limited perspective. So I'm trying to say the parts where I'm like, I don't know, this this is deeper than I can talk about. One of the other things that I, I talk about is that Ancient astronaut theory has often found its home in fringe groups, including far right organizations that use these theories to build the support their own agendas. And it can also undermine public understanding of science and critical thinking, leading to a more gullible society susceptible to misinformation and hexing the moon. Um, That hasn't happened at all out here. (laughs) They hex the moon and then the the pandemic happens. So I don't know. What is it? Um, as of recording this, I think tomorrow, I don't know if this is happening in Canada, but everyone in America is going to have like a, an emergency alert on our cell phones. Oh, interesting. There's already the conspiracy theories about how that alert is going to activate the 5G the microchips in our vaccines. Oh, my gosh. So we're all going to become, I don't know. I don't even know what the full theory is yet, but apparently yeah. that's going to happen to me tomorrow. 
you know how I was, we were talking earlier about before the show recorded about me, like trying to figure out what a TikTok that I could do would be. Yeah. There's one guy who took a shtick that I would love to be the person who does. And it is, he's a guy who eggs on all of the magic practitioners on TikTok and basically like begs them to curse him and send him cursed items. And he just like is filling his house with like cursed items that like the, all of the like witches and like, and wiz and like magic practitioners are sending him. And then also like openly inviting them to like put curses and hexes on him. That's kind of hilarious. So if you want to, if you want to direct any hexes or curses in my direction, go for it. That's all I'm going to say. So so I think, though, that because of all this stuff, this is like one of those things where like it could be innocent, but also it's tied to all of these like really pernicious things. And so because of that, I think it's not it's it's right. It's not right to let these things go unchallenged. We should probably be important about um, having respect for diverse cultures, mm-hmm. understanding of history and why, like, maybe we should not embrace pseudo archaeology yeah. and pseudo history. <laughs> but um. To put a a little bow on it, because I've been kind of rambly in this one. Long story short, ancient Tamil texts speak of lost lands and like big civilizations because of, uh, you know, like just because of the way the Hindu mythology works. Things are big and dramatic. Then these texts get lost for like a thousand years and get brought back in the late 19th century, a period where India is having a rising consciousness raising of developing an Indian identity in opposition to British imperialism. At the same time, the same British people or the Westerners who are colonizing the Indians are developing this theory that there might be a hidden lost continent in the Indian Ocean that would explain why they're finding these primate fossils in these two places. Tamil nationalists or Tamil revivalists latch on to these two ideas and start to marry the two together, thinking this might be this lost continent or this might be some sort of like ancient super civilization that the Tamils used to have. And they use it as part of their history in order to build a distinct Tamil identity and reduce the influence of both the British and the sort of Sanskrit heavy and like Hindi heavy northern Indian influence. Mm -hmm. India gets independence and Tamil nationalists become more big and bold and start like making like as they get more politically powerful, they make it public policy to teach this history. And today, the more radical minorities in this like in this movement are now starting to go to like the extreme lengths of saying that like not only was this continent that was debunked by science a long time ago, not only is it real, but it was like the origin of literally all civilization and all language on Earth. They've like run out of like the volume to turn up, right? We're already at 11. Yeah. So are they, are they going to try to say like, is it the, is the next like logical step or not logical, but like the next escalation of it to be like, oh, they also like went out to space and you know, <laughs> sometimes they like, I, like sometimes you get close. Sometimes ancient astronaut theory, like that's kind of where we're going, right? Like then like, oh, then the aliens and like, uh, like say, uh, so branching is this, over. Is this like a reverse ancient astronauts uh, theory? It's like, like, no, they started here and now, and they went mm. to the other galaxies. <laughs> That could be a future idea, yeah, where, like, not only did our civilization was so important here, but, like, they also went to space. Like, we're going to go out to space, and everybody in space is Tamil speaking. Uh, that would be interesting. You want to pitch a show to History Channel? Oh, boy. Um, <laughs> that's definitely not white supremacist enough for your average <laughs> right. uh, ancient aliens enjoyer. History-loving teens have their own meme circles. And 
they make a joke about this kind of nationalist thinking because they take two countries that have a lot of this in their um, their self-identity. Mm-hmm. And they made this mythical ancient war called the Finno-Korean Hyper War, oh, no. <laughs> where like because of like the sort of there's like a big Finnish nationalism, but also big like North Korea's got yeah. a whole bunch of weird stuff about their own history. And so they're like they obviously had super civilizations that like 9000 years ago had a mega battle that wiped out most of humanity. And like it's like the, the historical MCU the yeah basically but it, but that's that is purely a meme yeah yeah, yeah. but they're, they're not too far they're, they're doing this kind of similar things with some of these other you know yeah i can't wait history. i can't wait till ancient aliens tries to be like did the Finns and the koreans have a hyper war you want to pitch that show to history channel <laughs> oh oh Hi- yeah history meme war <laughs> get me giorgio sukalos on that no not the meme just teach the finno-korean hyper war as yeah, yeah. if it was real and see how long I can go before. I think I have an idea for it. a TikTok series for you. <laughs> oh, no. Um, but before you go on TikTok, if you found this to be an enlightening journey, we have more of these. This is like the 90 something episode of the show. I think it's oh, like wow. 94th episode of this show. Uh, if you want to catch up more with the kind of stuff that we're doing and say hello, you can go to at props.aliens on Twitter or Bluesky. Bluesky? <laughs> You're trying to code. Do you want to the... crack open a Bluesky? <laughs> yeah. Actually, you know, while we're at it, free to a good home. Oh, you have a referral code? Yeah. I'm just going to, I'm sure the, uh, the ancient, the, the, it's probably not aliens account probably has a few. This is a great giveaway, actually. Yeah. All right. Free to a good home. Anybody uh, write in BSKY dash social dash IC4G2 dash 3WZ3H. So whoever picks that up. It's yours. Nice. Because I, I, I do want to I do do think that, you know, Twitter might not be here in a couple of years. So let's all go to Blue Sky and Rod. Yes. <laughs> and Rod, Rod, Rod Kim, if you're uh, hopeless and trying to find Rod, where do you go? The easiest way is rodkim.com. That leads to all my other socials and stuff. Uh, mm-hmm. And I'm a, I'm a songwriter. If you happen to need that for whatever project, if you like me not knowing what the other host is talking about and trying to follow along i'm also on a podcast with my friend john carl where we rewatched the x-men 92 series and um comment about it we gone through the entire original series we're currently now in x-men evolution but whenever x-men 97 comes out we'll be watching that in real time and talking about it so that's cyclops is waiting for me is the name of the podcast and on most socials we're cyclops iwfm pod and nice. i basically kind of do what i did here john's explaining like comic book lore to me and i'm like huh how does that work with storm and he's like i don't know rod this is <laughs> There's a guy who shoots lasers out of his eyes. I loved X-Men Evolutions because it is, I think, of all of the X-Men media, the one that humanized and gave the most character to Toad, which was always my favorite X-Man. So I feel like Toad got the most attention on X-Men Evolutions. That was the one where they're all high school students, right? Yeah, yeah. We really, yeah. I, we, So far, we're really loving it. Let, let's, let me know if there's a favorite episode you want to you guest on. I don't think I could recall a single episode, but I would love to go on if there's a Toad-centric episode coming up. Probably. Um, we'll find one. It's funny. We, we lovingly kind of like shit on Toad because he's kind of like the... Gr- he like They didn't have to... We joke about how we, they didn't have to go too far off to make him Toad. He's like, he's a gross teenage boy. Like, that's plausible. <laughs> Fair. If you want to check out my work where I talk about why understanding uh, history is important for understanding the world we live in today, you can check out Step Back at stepbackhistory.com. I just made an episode. Uh, I mean, by the time you guys get this, it'll been out for a couple of weeks, but I just finished an episode last Sunday about 
media and why media manipulation, how media manipulation works and propaganda and all that kind of stuff. Also, if you want to find out about nerd culture and uh, creativity and vulnerability, Scott, who is not with us today, would love for you to check out NerdSync. He's doing a big push to put out a whole bunch of Scooby-Doo October content, and it would mean a whole lot to him if you went and checked out all the stuff he's putting out for that. Yeah, Scott does. He's like one of my, uh, like, he, he he knows this already. He's one of my heroes in, like, video creation stuff. He puts so much work into every pixel of those videos and it's thumbnails true. and everything. So definitely, you'll if you go on Scott's channel and you like what you heard on this, you'll, you'll find something you love on his channel as well. Oh, yeah, yeah. It's amazing. And you guys did a collaboration together on the origin of the X-Men theme song and on the Stranger Things. Stranger Things. And also our first collaboration was the DuckTales theme song. I I wrote the first draft of the music portion of that skit. Nice. Kind of like what started everything. And we've collaborated a few times since, too. So, yeah. So there's a lot of there's a lot of rod there, too. Yeah. There's a couple of couple with me in there, too. I'm. A few secret uh, parts I wrote and a few collaborations. And all of us collaborated in uh, Scott getting married. <laughs> yeah, we were all there. That was fun. That was the last time we all we were all together. Yeah. If you want to support this show, there's two things you can do. The best way to support the show financially is to join up for Nebula. If you go to nebula.tv slash probably not aliens and sign up going to that URL, you will get episodes a week early. I know that, that we have not been exactly the best on that, <laughs> but we there's a plan in place and it will be there. We will be getting there. If you're listening to this on the day that it comes out to the public internet, we should now be in a place where episodes are coming out a week early, inshallah. The other good thing that you can do, the, uh, that if you do not have the money, because who does these days? Reviews are greatly appreciated if you review us on Apple Podcasts, iTunes, Apple Music, and uh, <laughs> it's just I, all the same thing in different periods. I know. We, on our podcast, too, we're like, which one of these is still relevant? We don't know anymore. <laughs> Uh, review the show on whatever Apple's podcast thing is Google podcast. Although if not very long from now, it's going to be just YouTube, I guess, wherever you're listening to this podcast from, there's probably a place to review it. Do that. Give us five stars. And we really, really appreciate it. or tell your friends podcasts don't have recommendation algorithms. So we only are done by word of mouth and many words have been put in many mouths. So please put word in mouth and, um, <laughs> And, uh, and tell people that you think would like this show. Put word in mouth. That's just your sticker now for your show. Put word in mouth. Oh, God. <laughs> That's up there with uh, Wreck Me History Daddy. There you go. And the place that we you can send all of your friends to is the website probsnotaliens.com. Man, usually Scott does most of that work. And now I'm like, I'm a little tired after all that. <laughs> yeah, sorry. Uh, so, sorry. I'm, I've been like just back here like listening. You don't, like, have, you don't have the notes. Uh, okay, yeah. <laughs> You're doing great, Tristan. All of the, the outro spiel. I'm the But until then... I'm Tristan Johnson. And I'm Rod Kim. I raise my hand on an audio podcast. Yeah. Uh, (laughs) And the truth is out there. Probably. Probably. (laughs) I try to do a theremin. And now we're going to go listen to some Rod Kim. Yay. Man, that was some good Rod Kim music. <laughs> I'd commission him to write me songs. <laughs> Do I have to make a theremin remix of the Probs Not Aliens theme now? <laughs> oh, God. Yes, but also you have better things to do. <laughs>